0: You remember I said this last week, the last thing I want to talk about is money, okay? Because I know what you're thinking. You're all jaded like I am, and you're thinking like, "Eh, the money or the church only wants my money. The church is always talking about money. And if you're a guest here this morning, I get it. Your family is like, seriously, Greg, let's talk about something else. Okay, but I have to talk about money. It's necessary. Why? Because as we see, as we talk about money, money is so much more than a financial thing. Money has so much to do with our heart. And if we don't allow ourselves to deal with it, to talk about the money, to talk about the stuff, then we're missing out on something that God wants to do in our lives. I think for some of you, the next growth opportunity for you requires you to engage in your money, in your stuff some way. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. So when, I, uh, when we had our first kid, right, when we had our first kid, uh, there's, those first two months are unique. You either love the first two months or you hate the first two months, Right? 'Cause some of you like like the babies, what do they do? They they cry, and, you know, they sleep, they eat, they poop. That's all that children do, okay? And and it's hard because if you don't like cuddling, which I do, it's like this, this thing, I don't even, I can't have a conversation with it. I can't do anything. I know other dads are like, I don't like the baby stage. I love the baby stage. Is anybody a cuddler? Anybody like the new, newborn baby stage? Some of you do? Like seriously, I will, I will hold newborn babies. I hear that like at the hospitals, they have people that just go in to hold newborn babies. I'm going to do that when my kids leave the home. I just love just holding a newborn baby. It's great. Okay. But there's this point that happens along the road about two months in where suddenly they like see you, you know. Their eyes look at you, and, and you feel like, ah, and like, I feel like I'm communicating. They're not talking to me, but we're communicating here a little bit, right? And then things happen. And it starts progressing, and then they start to make sounds with their mouths, and they start, blah, 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 blah right? And then there's a competition. Me and my wife are super competitive, okay? Uh, we don't play a lot of games in our home because it, it gets ugly. But, but, but when, we, when we had the kids, there was this competition, like, are they going to say mama or dad at first? Anybody have that competition? I stand before you, the victor, okay? I'm the victor data every time, then I read up that said most babies say data first, so I didn't really win anything, but that's just how it works. So they say the, they say the words, and then they go on and ma- they make up other words, you know, they, when they learn to say ball, that's a really big day, right, they say ball, and they make up words for their milk, and they're all this kind of stuff, some kids do sign language, all this kind of stuff, but then somewhere around the age of two, if you're a parent, you understand that somewhere around the age of two, they learn a word that really starts to get annoying, okay, and the word is this, mine, you know what I'm saying, mine, right, mine. They, they're playing with toys with another kid and the kid wants a toy. No, mine, right? You're, whole, you're, you're talking to another child. Your kid will walk up, pull you away and say, no, mine, right? Mine. And this is a good thing. This is part of the like, de- developmental process for children to understand that what's, theirs, what's theirs. The problem is this mindset of mine sticks with us. Now, as adults, we don't walk around saying, mine. You know, we don't talk like that, but we'll say things like this, I bought it. I earned it. I deserve that. What we're saying is, that's mine. That's mine. See, the problem is that the mine mindset is in complete conflict with what it means to follow Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at a principle that I think God wants to get a hold of our hearts in. And it's a way that we understand, a way that we look at our money and our stuff in a different way that will ultimately help us follow after Christ in a more intimate way. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse number 9. As you're turning there, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading plan, uh, so we're reading through the New Testament. If you, you want to jump in or you, you kind of missed out in some way, uh, we post every Monday what the reading plan is, so feel free to jump in tomorrow. We will we'll post that reading for you, okay? Would you stand with me across the room? Nothing sacred about Santa. It's just our tradition around here to honor God's word when we read it together. As we're going to read a couple verses. These are verses you've probably heard before. Verse number 9 of chapter 6 says this. This then is how you should pray. Jesus talking says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that this wouldn't just be an exercise in me talking today, but instead, God, I pray that people would hear your voice, and through your word, you would speak truth to us that would transform our lives and transform this world. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. For those of you that missed last Sunday, if you missed out, uh, it was one of those messages I said you're going to have to chew on it a little bit. Maybe you were chewing on it a little bit. If you haven't, if you missed out on the message, I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. It's one of those things that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough in the church. We miss out on this truth and the truth of identity. We talked about that a little bit last week. And specifically, I applied applied it to the issue of money. And the big so what from last week was this. Our money problems are often ideuartships. Now, stewardship isn't a word that I don't think we use it all the time. It's not a word that many of us even use in our vocabulary on a regular basis. So what is stewardship? A steward, what is a steward? A steward is someone who is given oversight or management of somebody else's property. That's what a steward is, right? You are taking care of somebody else's stuff. Stewardship is not the same as ownership. Ownership says this is mine. Stewardship says this is someone else's. It's like a property manager. Some of you maybe serve as a property manager. You've, you've known somebody who's a property manager. What happens? Somebody owns a facility. They own a building. They own something like this. And they hire someone else and give them the responsibility to say, Here, this is my property, but I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to oversee this, to take care of this, to protect this, to guard this. Do what is in the best interest of me on behalf of me for this property that I'm going to put into your hands. That's what stewardship looks like. This is what stewardship is why we did child dedications today. I figure we're going to talk about this. We might as well do it on this day, right? This idea of stewardship. This child is not mine. I am a steward of this child on your behalf, God. You have given me this gift. So I'm going to do the best that I can to steward it well. That's what this whole idea of stewardship is. And so the Bible teaches this. When it comes to our money and when it comes to our stuff, We are stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. And the mindset that has to change as we look at Scripture, this is the mindset that has to change. To go from mine to his. From mine to his. Rather than viewing everything I have as mine. How many of you remember Finding Nemo? Remember the movie Finding Nemo? Remember the seagulls? What did the seagulls say? Mine, 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 mine. That's just how we walk around our lives, right? Mine, 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 this is mine, this is mine, there you go. all this stuff is mine. See, the mindset that has to get changed for us as followers of Christ, if we're really going to live the way he's called us to, is to say, his, 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 this is his, this is his, this is his, it's his. It's not mine. It's his. I'm a steward. I'm called to, to take care of this, to protect it, to do in what's best in his interest with what he has given me, but ultimately this is not mine. It's his. See, this is the difference. We talk about following Christ. Following Christ is really easy to say. It's a really easy thing to talk about. Yep, yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is cool. He loves me. That's great. Following after Jesus takes some effort. It's going to require, it's going to demand something of us. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to talk about this morning. I think one of the best examples uh, that we have of this whole principle is in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I would guess that a lot of you could quote the Lord's Prayer, right? And if you're going to quote it, you got to quote it in the King James, right? That's like the real way. Thine, you know, you got to use the thighs. But, but here's the deal. I think we can quote this thing real easily and never once think about what it means. Never once apply it to our lives. Never once say, okay, what does this actually look like, practically lived out in my life? And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at these first four statements from the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna apply them specifically to our finances, and look through the lens of our finances. It's not the only area of our life that we need to look at this prayer through, but we're going to do this with our finances and our stuff here this morning and see what God's... And I think it's going to teach us some principles of what does it mean to be a good steward of the resources that God has put into our hands, okay? So we're going to ask that question. What do stewards look like? If you're following along, point number one is just simply this. It's our Father in heaven. We start the prayer, our Father in heaven. In heaven. Now, if you're not familiar with this passage that we read earlier, this is Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching his followers, this is how you should pray. That's what he's trying to teach them. You find this in Matthew, you find this in the book of Luke, he he does this. And he's teaching them, what does it look like to pray? And the way he starts is mind-blowing. For us, we look at this and we're like, yeah, yeah, that's how the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, you know? This is how it starts. But to the people hearing him, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's crazy, Jesus. Why? You would never, ever refer to God as your father. Like, you don't talk to him that way. You you speak to him in far more uh, higher and loftier terms. You don't talk about God as your father. In fact, people got frustrated with Jesus because what? What did he call him? He used this Aramaic word, Abba. The word Abba is closer to our word for dad. Like this personal, intimate word. And and the people are like, what? No, Jesus, you wouldn't go to our dad in heaven. That is creepy, weird, Jesus. That's, That's far closer. No, no, God is high and off, and he's saying, no, no, no. Here's the starting point. You know what it is to have a relationship with our God? This is the starting point to understand our Father in heaven. What does this word speak to us? It speaks to this truth, this truth of identity. Identity, remember that from last week? identity. You see, if we miss out on this, everything else we're going to talk about as a steward is cold, dead religion. But the starting point isn't that. The starting point is a a father in heaven who loves you deeply, who cares for you. This God Almighty, creator of the entire universe, all power, all authority. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is greater than anyone we could ever relate to. There is no reason why we should be able to have a relationship with him, but he loves us so deeply. He cares for you so intimately that he provided the opportunity for you to know him, to be close to him, to have relationship with him, And he, if you have made a decision to follow Christ, to submit your life to him, he calls you son, and he calls you daughter. And we start from that position. This whole money thing starts there. If we're going to be stewards, it has to start here. Like I said, if you miss this, it's cold, dead religion. It's transactions. That's not what it is. You start with our Father in heaven, all right? We get to the the second statement. It's this. Hallowed. Be your name. Hollow would be your name. What in the world does that mean? Okay. Hollow. To hollow something. What does it mean to hollow something? We're not talking about hollowing out a trunk. We're calling hollow something means to set it apart, to make something holy, to separate it, to sanctify something. And so what is he saying here? Hollow would be your name. What I'm saying is, your name should be set apart. It should be all about your name. That's what that, and this is really the first request. He says, our Father in heaven, and then he starts making requests. a request. Would your name be hallowed? Would your name be exalted? Would your name be what is most important? And so when we, we talk about this principle when it comes to our finances, there's an application that we have to make to say, God, how are we hallowing your name? I want to use a picture we used in this last series. And I'm going to be honest, this is a picture I'm going to probably pull up on a fairly regular basis. Okay? Remember this picture? How many of you remember this picture? Right? Okay? I used this in the last series. And if you don't know what we're looking at, this is our my crude drawing of a solar system. All right, so when you think about it, I said for most of us, this is how we view our lives, right? I got my life, and I got all these facets to my life that are surrounding me, right? I've got my relationships, and I've got my my... Uh, Career, and I've got my likes and my dislikes, all those kind of things. And I've said this to you before. For most of us, faith is one of those things. And maybe it's the closest one because if our faith is the most important to us. So it's here and we keep our faith close to us. But I said, here's the problem with this picture. What's the problem? It's all about us still. Even our faith is all about us. Everything in our life is pointing to us, my relationships are about me, my money is about me, my, my time is about me, my energy, my likes, my dislikes is all about me. And if we're going to be a follower of Christ, what does it mean to die to ourselves and to, to give our lives to him? It means we take ourselves out of the center of our own solar system. Right. And we put Christ at the center. What does that mean? That means that your faith is no longer a planet circling you, and this thing is your faith is this nice little tidy thing that makes you feel better. No, your faith is your entire life. There is no spiritual and then the unspiritual part of my life, there's just my life. And it is all for Christ. And that means your relationships are for Christ. It's not about how do I get it out for me. It's how do I glorify God through my relationships. It's how, how does my career honor God? How does my time, how does my energy, and ultimately how do my finances, my money, and my resources, how do I center them on Christ to say, God, I want to hollow your name. The purpose of my money is not to hollow me, make it all about me. How can I look good? The purpose of my finances to say, how. How can I set it apart for you? How can I glorify you through my resources? And so, the word I want to associate with this is the word purpose. Purpose. You see, when we we look at the first statement, we understand our identity, where our financial identity is in Christ, that we are his kids. But the second, we understand our financial purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. Not to glorify us, not to make it about us, but to make it about him, to make his name great. That's the purpose if we're gonna call ourselves a follower of Jesus, okay? So we go on to the next statement, the next statement. So we have identity, we have purpose. Number three, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this speak to? Our financial commitment. What's our commitment? Our commitment is to his kingdom, To his will. See, most of us walk around our lives, and I get it. I can do the same thing. I walk around, I'm really like, my kingdom come, my will be done. (laughs) How can I use this to make me happy, to satisfy me? That's the normal way of living life. Our entire culture is formed, like, do what's good for you. Every commercial is saying, you need this. You need this. You should be spending your money on this. It feels good. It's good for you. All those things. We're investing in us, but that's not what a follower of Christ looks like. No, we say, okay, God, you've given us, you've provided for me. You you said you are my source, you are my father, right? Okay? And now I'm going to say, my purpose is to glorify you. That's my purpose. And my commitment is to choose to value your kingdom and to value your will above my own will. That's my call. This is where it gets muddy. This is where it gets hard. This is where following Christ isn't just easy. Ooh, Jesus loves me and forgave me my sin. This is where it means I'm going to take up my cross, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you like you've called me to. This is when it rubber meets the road as a follower of Jesus. So then we get to the final statement. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And what does this word speak to? Trust trust. You see, if we have the starting point, we find our identity, God, we're your kids. You love me. You care for me. You care for me more than I can understand. Listen, my kids have no clue how much I love them. No clue. They question it. Based on how I interact with them, if I don't give them what they want or I don't respond the way they want, they seriously question my love. I'm like, you guys have no idea how much I love you. You have no idea what I would do for you. You have no idea what I would give for you. They have no idea. Listen, that's how God is with us. We have no idea how much he loves us. We cannot fathom his love for us, right? And if we understand that, we understand our purpose, that our purpose isn't about us. And actually, that's the most depressing thing in the world. When it's all about you, you end up getting so self-focused that life ceases to be fun, just so you know that. We were made to value something outside of ourselves. And God's saying, listen, you're made to value me. And it brings joy to your heart. And if we begin to do that and then we choose to value his things and we invest in his things, his will, his kingdom, that's the things we pour into. It puts us into a position where we're saying, okay, God, I'm going to have to trust you to be my source. I'm going to have to trust you for my daily bread here, God. I'm depending on you. See, this is the position God desires us to be. Not to be independent of him operating on our own, saying, I I can take care of this myself. I got this myself. See, that's what started the whole problem with Adam and Eve saying, forget God's way. I'm going to do things my way. And that ultimately leads to death and destruction. And God's saying, I don't want that for you. I want life for you. I want you to depend on me. I want you to be in a place where you're saying, God, give me what I need today because I trust you. My hope is in you. It's not in myself. This is the position God desires for every one of us that we would trust him. We would live for him. You remember what Jesus said when he was talking about money and stuff? He says, you guys worry about so much. He says, look at the dumb little sparrows, right? He didn't say dumb, sorry, that's me. Look at the little sparrows, right? They don't worry about stuff. They're not freaking out. God takes care of them. He provides for them. And then he asks this question, aren't you more valuable than that? Doesn't God love you more than that? He cares more for you than that? So, why are you freaking out? Why are you stressing out? Why don't you trust Him? So, this is the principle. This is what a steward looks like it's one that says, listen, ultimately, my identity is in God. Ultimately, my purpose is to glorify Him. Ultimately, my commitment is to invest in the things He cares about and then to put myself in a position where, God, you are my source. I am not my source. That's what it looks like to be a, a steward, to say, God, this is all for you. How can you use what, I've, what you've put in my hands? How can I use it for your glory ultimately? And so I want to get to our big so what here, and then we're going we're gonna to just kind of talk about something very practical out of that. Every week I have a big so what. If you've never been here before, big so what, I ask, so what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I said, I want you to take at least this truth away. This morning it's a question that I want you to ask yourself, and it's this. Do I trust God, and can he trust me? Do I trust God, and can he trust me? I want you to stop, and I want you to think about your finances for a second. Think about your money. Think about your stuff. And ask yourself this question. Do I trust God? Can he trust me? Do I trust God? If someone were to look at your finances, if you were to peruse your finances, would there be anything in your finances that show that you trust God, that you're looking to him, that you're depending on him? Or are you ultimately your own source? Are you the one that's saying, i I, I got to make this my own? It's all on me. It's all on me. Ask yourself that. I'm not saying, do you say you trust God? I'm saying, is there any evidence? Would there be any evidence whatsoever in your finances that said, you trust God? And in the same way, asking this question, if God came and looked at your finances, would he say, that's somebody I could trust? That's somebody I can trust. We see this over and over in scripture this idea of God saying, Listen, I, I'm gonna put stuff in your hands and say, Can I trust you? If I can trust you, I wanna bless you with more. But why would God bless someone who he can't trust? I know people who are blessed crazy financially. You wanna know why? I've watched them, they are the, they are the most trustworthy people. I watch them, God keeps blessing their business and they just keep giving. They keep giving. Right, And I believe God wants to do that for some of us, not as some formula to be worked out there, but I do believe that for some of you, God would love to give you more, but he he doesn't know if he can even trust you because you're not operating in a position saying, God, I am trustworthy. Like, I'm gonna be faithful with what you put. I'm gonna be faithful with little, you're gonna give me more. Okay, I'm not being faithful with the little, and you're saying, God, give me more, but he's like, you're not being faithful with what I've already put in your hands. You're just not. Do I trust God and can he trust me? Now, is there any evidence that would say that? So what I want to look at real quickly is I think most of us do not operate in this position. Most of us are not in positions where we say, God, I trust you with our finances, or in a position where we say, God could trust me with our finances. I think there's a the normal way of going about life, and I shared this with you last year, and I, I just think it's a good principle to understand. Most of us, what do we do with our money? We live, Right? We get paid, and we live, and we get paid, and we live, and we get money, and we live. And this is the cycle of our life. This is how we live, right, over and over again. Now, for some of you, you are far more mature than that. Uh, because you realize that, you know what, there's going to be some needs out there in my life. I'm going to have moments where I need to pay for something, or there's a, there's a day out there, someday I want to retire, so I should probably be pre- prepare. So you do something, you live, and you save, right? If there's any left over, I'm going to save a little bit, so that way I can be with my rainy day fund, or retirement, whatever it is, I'm going to save a little bit. This is a good thing, and this is a good step to take, Right? And then there's some of you out there that I would put, man, you're really there. Because you, you live, and then you save. And if there's a little bit left over, you'll find a way to give something, right? To, give and in, to invest in something other than your own life. To say, I'm going to give a little something. I'm going to drop a little something in the offering bucket. I'm going to go give and support some kid in Africa. I'm going to do this. These are little things that you do here and there, right? These moments where if there's extra, I'll do it. If I can, I will, kind of conversations. See, here's the deal. I believe that this is the wrong pattern for a follower of Christ. Because in this, the focus is me, a little bit of me in the future, and if there's anything left over, I'll invest it somewhere else. And I think the follower of Christ needs to flip this pattern completely and to go from a give, save, live model. What does that look like? Number one, we give. Why? Because we put ourselves in a position where we say, God You are most important. Your kingdom is more valuable than my kingdom. Your will is more important than my will. Your purposes in this world are more important. I want to center my finances, not just my words, because it's easy to say, Jesus, I love you. You're the best. You're the most important one in my life. But God, really, like when it's nuts and bolts and I got to pull my wallet out here, I'm going to say, God, I put you first even here. in the thing that oftentimes I want to say, mine, God, back off. We may not say that, but we act like it. To say, God, I give. I give to you. I give to you completely. Why? I prioritize. I orient my life. Remember that whole idea? My finances are oriented around you, not oriented around me. That's what it looks like. I think that's the first call of a follower of Christ. And wisdom would then say, we should save. Right? That's just wisdom throughout all of Scripture. There's lots of wisdom. You can go through the entire book of Proverbs, and it talks all the time about preparing for the future. You don't get stuck with nothing. You should need to prepare for the future. Okay? This is a wise thing to do. That car is going to break at some point in time. That refrigerator is going to go out at some time. In fact, Jared and Lisa's refrigerator went out this past week. Like, it just happens. you got to have some money to buy something, right? That's a smart, a wise thing to not be like, Oh, no, what am I going to do? Okay? And then live. But see, here's what's happened. We've prioritized what matters most already. And then we've, we live inside of a box that we have created. The problem is most of us are living with no box, no constraints. We just, whatever comes in goes right back out the door. And for some of us, more goes out the door than actually what comes in. And that's why we have credit issues, okay? But to say, okay, God, I'm going to choose what matters first. I'm going to prepare for the future. And then I'm going to live inside the box that is available at that point. And guess what? All of our boxes are different, They are. It's just reality. But this is what a follower of Christ does. It says we prioritize what matters most first. And so if there's one principle uh, that I see or one example of this that is the most clear in Scripture, it's that of the tithe. That of tithe. Who's ever heard the phrase the tithe before? You ever heard of that? Okay. Some of you have. Some of you maybe have never heard this before. And you might think it's just some general idea of giving. We talk about it every week, collecting tithes and offerings Okay, what is tithe? Tithe isn't some generic word out there. Tithe literally means 10%. That's what tithe means. It means a tenth, 10%, okay? And so the principle that we'd see throughout Scripture, if you go through Scripture, you see it over and over, this principle of the tithe, where people would bring an offering to the Lord. In fact, even before the law was giving, Abraham came... before a, a minister of the Lord, and he came and he gave 10% everything, of everything he had. He gave it as an offering to the Lord. This is a principle we see from the beginning to the end, this whole idea of the tithe. And I don't have time to dig into all the nuances of the tithe here this morning, but the tithe was meant to be an act of surrender. It was meant to be an act saying, God, I give to you. This is something that costs me something, right? To give, but it was more than that. It was meant to be an act of surrender. Of trust. Now one of the other principles that we see in Scripture is that is there's an offering known as the offering of the first fruits. And throughout Scripture God was frustrated and he commended people for bringing their best, not for bringing their leftovers. Remember this last uh, winter we talked about the book of Malachi and God was really frustrated because they were bringing offerings, they were bringing animals to him and what were they bringing him? The defective ones. The, the gimpy leg ones. That's who they were bringing. And they were saying, listen, remember I'm your father? Remember I love you, you love me? This is supposed to be a relational thing. And you're acting, you're acting like, like I just get the leftovers. I get the junk you don't care about. And, and over and over, God commended people for bringing their best. And the, the whole principle of the first fruits offering was this. They were an agricultural society, right? And in an agricultural society, the first harvest was, was really important. The first fruits you get is really important. Why? Because there's no guarantee there's any more. There could be a hailstorm tomorrow to destroy the rest of your crop. But what did they do? Their call was to take those first fruits and to give them to God. And what did that do? It put them into a, a position of trust to say, God, my source isn't my crop. My source isn't in this land. My source is you, God. And so I give to you first. I don't give to you last. I don't give you the scraps left over. No, I give to you first. I put myself into a position of trust before God. That's what the tithe is meant to be. And this is what the principle is to say, God, we would present to you and give you 10% of what we earn, but not not just any, not the last 10%. God, I give you the first. If I had $10, it wouldn't just be one of the $10. It's the first one. Say, God, I invest in you first. I give to you first. I prioritize your kingdom. I am building and orienting all of my finances around you, not the other way around. That's the principle of the tithe. Now, this is something Amber and I, you know, we've done from the beginning of our marriage is tithing. And you could go back into our checkbook every month for the last 15 years, and every time there is an input, the first thing written is there. Is that because uh, we're so good and so spiritual? No, it's because we've seen the, the promise of tithing. We've seen the faithfulness of God. And we want to orient our lives in a way where we don't just talk the talk. Listen, there's plenty of stuff in our life where we get stuff screwed up still. I get it. This is one of those areas in our life where we can build it in and say, God, we choose to orient our lives around you to prioritize your kingdom above our own. We don't just want to be Christian to talk stuff, okay? None of us want to be that person, We don't want to be the person that everyone says, oh, that's really a hypocrite. They talk real good, but they don't really live it. No, I want to be the person that really lives it. And this is what it means to say, God, we put you first. But I can say this. I don't sit and think about what have I lost in all the thousands and thousands of dollars that I have given back to God. Never once do I think about it. I think about, man, how God has provided for us over and over and over and over again. He has faithfully provided for us in crazy ways. And my guess is this. There's so many of you in this room that I know are faithful tithers. And I could pass the mic around to you guys, one at a time, and you could tell stories of how God has faithfully provided for you, the ways he came through when you needed it. And I believe this is a principle every one of us needs to get a hold of as we step in to this thing called faith and following after Christ. Now, we as a church, I just want to. I, I never like to hide anything. I want to be honest with us about how we operate as a church. As a church, we don't uh, we don't get money somewhere else. You know, we're not a denomination that gets money from some headquarters somewhere. We are a self sustaining church in the assemblies of God. The only the way we do everything that we do around here comes from the gifts that all of us bring in. Like we we pay this building, we pay salaries, we pay missionaries, we pay all these kind of things. But what we've said is this. We do not want to do something else. We don't want to operate in a position where you are our source, okay? Now, it's the money that you bring, absolutely. It's the money that I give, that all of us give, are how we do what we do around here. But at the end of the day, you aren't our source. God is, okay? And so what do we do? We as a church do the exact same thing. I say this on a regular basis. 10% of everything that comes in for tithes and offerings around here, we turn and give right back outside of these doors and support missionaries and mission organizations all around the world. Because we say, God, our source is not us. Our source is not you. Our source is you. We trust in you, God. Our hope is in you, God. And we said this even during this season that we went through. This was a hard season, you know, financially. And, and looking at it saying, I don't know how this is going to go. The first thing we said is we are not cutting the support that goes out of these doors. We're going to continue to faithfully tie the outside of these doors because our hope is not in anything but in God. We're saying, God, this is a way that we can operate. The first money that comes in is going right back out of these doors, God, to say, God, it's about you and your kingdom. We wanna invest in your kingdom. And so my prayer for us is that we would all have that same mindset, to say, God, you you can trust me, God, and I'm gonna trust you. So i want to give a very specific challenge. There's no squirming around this one this morning. The challenge is simply this. Put God first in your finances through tithing. Put God first in your finances through tithing. Why do I say that? It's about what it'll do in your heart more than anything else. God provides for us. You're not my source. You're not our source. God's our source. But I believe this, that God will do more in your heart as you become faithful and obedient to him through this than possibly anything else in your life. This is where the rubber really can start to meet the road in our faith life as we walk in this. Now, I know there's different groups that are in this room. There's some of you, and and I love it. I can tell you, because there's some of you in this room while I'm preaching this message, you're smiling and you're with me and you're excited. Why? Because you're a tither and you've seen God's blessing. And this is just like, yeah, yeah, I love this message, okay? There's other people in the room who are, I would say, at at points in your life you've tithed or you may be sporadic in your tithe. And and this is a moment where you're just like wrestling this a little bit. Say, God, yeah, God, would you help me? Would you help me in this area? This is an area I struggle with a little bit. But then I know there's another group here. And there's a group of people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not orienting my finances like that. (laughs) And if you're in that position, here's what I know you're thinking Seriously, 10%, Greg? Not a chance. Because that's a lot of money. When you're only making 10 bucks, it's not a lot of money. When you're giving a buck up, that's not a big deal. When the money gets bigger, that gets big. And you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I could orient my life that way today. You're totally right because you've been living the same way everybody else does right now. In order to reorient your life this way, it requires a step that is different. And so there's something that I like to challenge people to. If you say, listen, I want to start. My, my desire for everyone this morning isn't that we fully take this step because I know some of you couldn't do this today. But that you would begin to turn your life and orient your life toward the tithe. What does that look like? I use the phrase premeditated consistent giving that rather than being a tipper a god tipper you know like if i got five bucks in my pocket every once in a while i'll, I'll toss something in a bucket and then i'll feel good no i'm going to become a premeditated consistent giver i'm going to choose to give first so that means when i receive income the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to give something to god now i might say i'm going to give them a buck that's what i'm going to do the first buck that comes in my door is going to go toward god If that's all it is, I don't care. The purpose is, is your heart starting to orient itself towards saying, God, I'm gonna center my financial world around you, not the other way around. I'm gonna recognize that I am a steward of what you had given me, and I'm not called to just simply live for me, for now, for here, for now, okay? To orient our lives that way. And so for some of you, that's the only step. Premeditate, and what do I mean? Premeditate, you plan it ahead of time. This isn't like, a, oh, when it's convenient, when it's easy. No, I plan it ahead of time, and it's consistent. I do it regularly. I don't just do it every once in a while. I do it regularly. You're going to start to build a pattern of saying, God, this is, this is all about you. Every time, listen, I, I've gone finally to digital with my giving, you know, but I still use it. I use a checkbook because I'm old-fashioned. Sorry, I use a checkbook. And I do it intentionally, though, because you know what I do? I write. I write income, and the first thing that I do, I write that. I write it down. Say, God, this is yours. I trust you. It's an act of trust. And for some of us, we do nothing. There's nothing in our lives that would say we trust God. For me, this is an act of trust. God, say, I trust you. So I challenge every single one of us. Again, this, like I said at the beginning, you remember, this isn't a topic I want to meddle in your. I don't want to get in your world and deal with your finances. You guys don't want to listen to me talk about your money. But I'm not really talking about your money. I'm talking about your heart. That shows itself up in our money. So my prayer is that we would all orient our lives, not so that the finances would change, but so that our hearts would change and be focused around Him.